Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Adam Mon joining us from Tennessee. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thank you, Richard. It's good to be here. COVID was really bad, listeners, but it taught me how to do remote podcasts. And now I need to 95% of these are remote. And I never would have had a way to have somebody like Adam on the podcast unless he was in town and could figure out a time to come by my home. So I'm not grateful for COVID generally, but there's some things we learned in society. Um, I'll give you a little background about Adam. He is 31. He's a gay Latter-day Saint. He grew up in Avon, A-V-O-N. Is that how I pronounce it? Yep. Like the makeup company. Yep. And um, he is our first guest from that metropolis um, south of Logan. I say that with a grain of salt, Um, um, but I love that part of the world you're from. Um, Adam will talk about his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint, including um, a really painful experience about 10 or 11 years ago. He'll talk a little bit about conversion therapy and a little bit about um, journey surviving, just being suicidal. So there's kind of some trigger warnings, but that's the reality of his story. And I think it's helpful for listeners that are maybe in a really tough spot to hear Adam's story sort of on the other side of that. Adam will talk about his decision um, to get a PhD in counseling psychology at the University of Tennessee, just with this love to want to help LGBTQ people. And he has this lived experience, but now this academic experience um, to really be able to help. There's such a need in our world for um, the skills that Adam is obtaining. He'll also, as he talks about his, as you know, listeners, and I didn't know this until last five years ago, you need a dissertation for a PhD. It's kind of a big deal. So he's going to talk about um, some recruiting he's doing for the dissertation that might be you listeners that want to get involved in Adam's dissertation. And we'll link in the show notes to how to sign up or get next steps for Adam's dissertation. So that's kind of the high view, Adam doesn't participate in the church, but it's respectful of the church. So this is, a, we're trying to validate all stories and and show grace and hope and kindness and understanding. And um, we said a prayer before we started. And I just sense we're um, hearing from a really strong, re- remarkable, capable man who's walked a really complicated road and is now just in a good, better spot and has committed a life to helping others. So is that okay for an introduction, Adam? Wow. I should have you introduce me everywhere I go. Thank you. <laughs> Well, someday you're going to be Dr. Mon and I can introduce you that way, but <laughs> that will happen. Someday, someday that will happen. So it's all yours, man. All right. Um, well, I guess I want to, I guess I can start off just thinking about kind of my, I know people kind of talk about some of their first experiences, kind of realizing they were gay coming to that recognition. Um, I think for, I think I had like known for a while honestly, but I didn't really let myself start to think about it till I was about 13 or 14 years old. Um, I got really bullied in high school. Um, I was not the most athletic person in gym. Um, and I, I remember after one gym class, I had math the next, uh, the next hour after that. And I walked in there and several people from my gym class were in there and they were kind of whispering about how, oh, Adam's probably gay or Adam's you know, he throws ball like girl. Um, mm. And we kind of were sitting in clusters and I 
the person who was saying this was sort of in front of me and I kicked them kind of underneath the desk to be like, Hey, like stop, you know? And, uh, he told other people at the desk that I was trying to play footsies with him. Oh my gosh. And everyone else at the the table basically agreed that he should probably burn his shoes after he leaves school today. So that since it had touched me. Um, I think it's just so wild to me thinking about that now. Cause I, I never really told anybody about that at the time. Um, that was something I just felt like I couldn't even acknowledge. I couldn't even acknowledge that I was getting bullied about this because even associating myself with the word gay just felt so scary. Um, but I started to just learn that like I needed to do everything I could to avoid avoid getting that kind of treatment, avoid um, being associated with being gay. And so, you know, I used to I used to love doing theater. I was in multiple shows in uh, junior high school and high school as well. Um, but I would try to kind of avoid my theater friends anytime it wasn't in rehearsals. So I really distanced myself from a lot of people um, just to try to kind of dissuade people from associating with me as someone who might be um, gay or attracted to to men. Um, I ultimately knew that, you know, I really wanted to go on a mission. I wanted to marry a woman. I wanted to do all the things, you know, that we're taught to do. And I was I was really, I, I loved the church so much. Um, it was everything to me. And especially as time went on and feeling this alone in, in school, feeling like I had a savior who cared about me and loved me and knew what I was going through meant the world to me. Because if no one else knew, at least I wasn't completely alone. Um, so... <laughs> As I kind of started finding a lot of strength from the church, um, I realized that the, it kind of came to a point where I realized that like I I would have to make some changes in my life if I wanted to um, go on a mission and do these things. And I I had friends who had you know not really it kind of skirted away through some of the missionary questions um, and gone on their missions, but I wanted to make sure I did things correctly. So I you know confessed to my bishop about things that have been going on, and it was kind of determined that my mission date would kind of be um, pushed back a little bit. So I'd have to wait kind of longer than some of my peers. Um, but I was, you know, it was really hard because I had different members in my in my congregation kind of coming up and being like, oh, why aren't you on your mission yet? You're like somebody I thought would be one of the first ones out. Um, and me knowing that like, well, it's, you know, I, I hadn't really even put words on it yet. It wasn't that I was gay. It was like, you know, that I was you know, addicted to, in my head, it was like, I was addicted to men, like addicted to the idea of men having, you know, sexual fantasies about men, um, pornography a little bit as well. Um, and so I was very much ashamed of that and not really wanting to have to answer that, but getting confronted with those questions, um, was really hard at the time. Um, but I was very determined to do everything I could, um, to just, again, distance myself. So, um, I remember reading my scriptures one time and it was a scripture in Alma. I think it's Alma 38, five, but it talked about basically that like the more you're willing to show your faith in God, the more God's going to bless you. And for me, that like really hit home. Um, and unfortunately kind of not in the right way now that I'm looking back on it, but I, I decided that if I was going to get rid of this, these feelings, whatever they were, <laughs> I was going to have to do everything I could. And so 
I began being very, very meticulous about a lot of things in my life. I stopped listening to any music that wasn't uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, I guess the Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square. Um, and so that was about for about a year and a half before my mission, that's all I would listen to. And if I listened to anything else or even happened to hear another pop song on the radio or something, I would really beat myself up internally that I had ruined the spirit for myself. Um, I started to read my scriptures very consistently, um, had a very strict schedule of, you know, I have to read this many chapters a day. And if I read even like one, one verse less than that, or if I even get, you know, a little bit distracted, then I have to kind of restart from the beginning. I have to make sure I'm doing everything perfectly so that God will just see how, how serious I am about this because I do not, I do not want whatever this is. I don't want it. Um, I do not want to be gay. And again, I couldn't even put those words to that, but, um, I remember one of the kind of hardest things that came out of that was me fasting. I felt a lot of power from fasting and being able to kind of meet some of my goals with like, you know, avoiding pornography use, avoiding, um, just kind of difficult thoughts. And I felt a lot of power from that, but Again, it kind of got to an extreme place where I was basically starving myself for three days at a time, occasionally, um, just to, again, just try to prove God, you know, like, not a lot of people do this. This is how serious I am. I really care about this. Um, I was starting to date some girls at the time, and uh, but then I was getting ready to go on a mission. So I was like, all right, we've got to take a break from this. Um, but eventually I entered the, the mission train, the missionary training center, uh, January 4th, of 2012. And um, that's when I, I was called to serve in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is actually the same mission as my, my dad. So that was wow. kind of fun. And yeah. Um, kind of one of those fun little coincidences. Um, but I remember being so excited when I got into the Missionary Training Center. I was really passionate. I cared so much. I'd felt at that point that God had, had cured me, had made this kind of go away. Um, I became the district leader and I was like, all right, this is, this is exactly what is supposed to happen. Everything that I've worked for, finally it's here. Um, and finally, like finally my, finally I'm acceptable to God after all this, finally he loves me. And then I went out to the mission field <laughs> and oof, I don't think I was quite ready, um, for what that was going to be like. Uh, but my very first week there. Uh, it was four of us, four elders sleeping in a one-bedroom apartment. We had mattresses kind of laid out on the floor. And I had very vivid and intense sexual dreams about men for every single night of that first week in the mission field. And I remember being like, what is going on? I This is gone. This is when I'm supposed to be my most spiritual and God's supposed to be most with me. And here I am. And it's like, I've never felt so far from God. Um, so that was really hard. And I was like struggling really hard internally for a long time, probably probably the first three or four months of my mission. I didn't really tell anybody anything about this struggle, um, but I really loved my mission. I was enjoying, you know, going out and I feel like I was seeing so many miracles happening all around me. I run into people that were, you know, were just ran, knocking on a random street and they were a former member of the church um, or, you know, someone from the church would tell us a name of someone they were you know, hoping to have us talk to, and we would happen to run into them somewhere without even having that connection being made yet. Um, there was just so many things that I was like, I felt really guided um, in those moments. Um, 
But as time went on, my depression and anxiety got really intense to the point where you know, I was feeling such a strong, just feeling like God hated me. Um, any mistake, anything that bad happened to us in our our companionship, I would always blame it kind of internally on myself. Like, you know, we didn't have a successful lesson. That person didn't say yes to baptism because I'm secretly, I have this thing going on. Um, just these thoughts. And I, again, I'd never acted on anything at this point. Um, it was just kind of these thoughts and feelings I've been having. So um, eventually it got to the point where I had to start seeing a therapist. Um, I wasn't able to get out of bed one day for my mission because of how depressed I was feeling. So they decided to get me into LDS Family Services. And um, before that, I had actually set up a meeting with my uh, mission president. And I was lucky enough to live pretty close to the mission home at that time. So I was able to go to the mission home itself and, and talk with him. And that was the very first time I told him, anyone, that I was gay. Um, you know, I was basically thinking in my mindset, just like, all right, you know, I'm going to therapy for the first and only time in my life. <laughs> Spoiler alert, that wasn't true. Um, but I might as well get this done. You know, let's talk about this all completely. And so I told him that I was gay and he was actually very compassionate. Um, he had had a daughter who um, I believe was also gay or maybe it was a family member, something to that effect. Um, and so he, he was not new to this, basically. And he told me that, you know, there was nothing wrong with me. Um, the only thing that was wrong with me was just that my perception of myself was so, so skewed that I was so evil and bad. Uh -huh. um, yeah. So I thought that was, I was really glad that was kind of my first experience. Um, and um, ultimately, I ended up coming home early. Um, I really did not want to come home early. <laughs> I was like, if I come home early, no girl is going to want to date me. Wow. Uh, who would want to date someone who came home early from their mission, let alone who has all this other stuff? Um, but I remember probably the hardest phone call of my life was with my mom right as I was coming home. And I'd emailed them the day before because my, it was my, my P day and told them, you know, like, hey, you know, it acted like everything was normal, but I said, I just hope you know how much I love you this week. Because they didn't know anything. They didn't know I was coming home yet. And when I called my mom, she had talked to my mission president beforehand, and he had kind of actually told her um, with my consent that, you know, I was attracted to men. And the second I heard her voice on the phone, I was just standing on my balcony of my apartment. My companion was inside the house and I heard her voice and I just broke down and said, mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I've tried so hard to not be this way. And she just said, it's okay. I, you know, I think at that time, she and I were both kind of on the same page and my dad too. They've both been wonderful this whole journey, but just that we were going to like all kind of figure out how to, to work through this together, whatever that looked like. Um, and I think at that point in time, it, it was really much like, let's figure out how to get this kind of over with out of the way. And then we'll get you back into the mission field. And so when I left, um, when I left my mission, uh, Again, it had been the hardest experience in my entire life. I I honestly applaud our missionaries. There's just such a such a difficult thing that they do. 
Uh, and I'm so grateful also. This was because I, I was in the time before they could, you know, FaceTime family members consistently. Um, I think that was like such a good move that the church has made to allow that kind of more consistent communication. I know that would have been so important for me at that time. Um, but anyway, so coming home early, um, I'd had a wonderful mission and I was, you know, looking forward to giving my mission, mission homecoming talk, or, you know, even just talking in church, if I was going to, you know, end up going back out. Um, and during my, uh, release with my stake president, um, you know, I, I'd had an older sister who'd gone on a mission and her release had been really meaningful and like spiritual for us as a family. We'd all been there and she kind of had shared her testimony, um, had the opportunity to just talk about what her mission had meant to her. And for me, I went in and my stake president who, you know, I'd had a relationship with him before, but now he knew this other part of me, um, said, well, we all know why we're here. And so this is how we release missionaries. You are released from your, your duties. And now we'll just focus on getting you worthy to go to the temple. And my mom was shocked and scared. She was, she was like, is there something I don't know about? Like, did he have sex with someone on his mission? Like, why is he not worthy to go to the temple? And I'd never done anything. It was just the fact that I was, was gay. Um, and so that was really hard. And I came home from my, from that. I didn't get to share my testimony. We just left right immediately after that. The tag was taken off and I came home and I just went down in my bedroom and I cried. And I said, why am I not worthy to go to the temple? I've never done anything. Um, you know, and I had a similar experience with my bishop at the time, who again is someone I grew up with, you know, my my whole life and someone that I really respected and admired. And just treated it very similarly, um, as though, you know, I was a completely new person. Um made some analogies that were not <laughs> great analogies of how, you know, me not being able to have a relationship with any guy I want to see is the same as, you know, him not having a relationship with any girl he sees. Um, which again, there's just, there's some differences there. <laughs> um, because, uh, straight folks do have the opportunity to pursue those relationships. Um, and so I think it was, it was really hard because again, this was someone I trusted a lot and I went to, a singles ward, I decided, you know, I'm just going to try to, maybe if it's, maybe if I get out of this stake and just kind of go back, go into a singles ward instead of my family ward, that'll be okay. And um, in the process of having my records exchanged and having leaders have talked to each other, they, they had missionaries assigned to sit with me and walk me to my classes the first week I showed up to my singles ward. Wow. Um, And this was only a couple, you know, a couple weeks after coming back. Um, And it just felt like, I'd lost everything. Like like three weeks ago, I would have been one of these missionaries, yeah. you know, walking someone to class, greeting them. And now I felt like I was almost being monitored. Um, I felt like almost like everybody could see, and this wasn't true, but I felt like everybody could see I was gay and they knew that something was evil or bad about me. Cause you know, why was this member of the church who's an active member, who's a return missionary. Um, and I was honorably released despite everything else that had happened and been said, um, why is he getting walked by missionaries to classes? And I actually had a panic attack and I, 
I'd never had one of those before, but my heart was racing out of my chest. And I was like, I have to run. I literally ran out of sacrament meeting um, the next week after that, after having a similar experience and um, drove home. It was, you know, I was going to the singles ward in Logan, drove all the way back to Avon, which is about a half hour drive. And when I got there, my mom was there and she said, I just had this feeling like I need to come back and be here for you. Um, so again, I, I do feel like, you know, even though I have stepped away from the church, um, I do believe that there are, I do believe in God. I do believe in the higher power that guides and cares and loves and about us and like is involved in the intimate details of our lives. Because like, there have been so many times where I've just felt so taken care of and loved. Um, that was one of those moments. So, you know, at this point we were, you know, really trying to get me to go back on my mission. Um, and trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to get this done? And um, I had been referred to a therapist in Provo who um, was supposed to specialize in, you know, helping folks like me. And I didn't really know a whole lot. I don't think my parents knew a whole lot. But again, the, the idea was let's, you know, let's get rid of this, this like same sex attraction and get him back out on his mission. And, you know, hopefully within the year, you know, I came home in went out in January, came back in August and we're hoping, you know, maybe around Christmas or something right after Christmas, hopefully, because every mom wants their kid home for Christmas, but we can go out from then. Um, so in meeting with this therapist, um, I definitely was very depressed and very anxious. Like my mental health was not good at that time. Um, and I was kind of finding myself falling in love for the first time. And definitely wanting to not be falling in love, but also loving falling in love. Um, it was one of my friends from my high school that I'd like been talking to about the church before I left my mission, who had started to kind of reactivate through the mission. And then afterwards, um, you know, I was just trying to be a good friend and help him, but realized that there was more about us that was similar than I had realized before. Um, and that was just a really hard emotional spot to feel like, you know, I feel like I'm getting rejected by my church leaders, by, by God in some ways. Um, so much of the things I'm losing, I've lost. I mean, so many things in my life I've lost that I've, I've wanted my whole life. But there's this one person who I feel like understands me um, and who is, is there for me. Um, so I was kind of... Again, it's on this like consistent boat of like kind of like boats a bit, boats a good analogy, but that's not what I meant. Uh, just like tossing and turning waves, I felt like I was just constantly struck and torn between you know, do does God love me? Does God even care about me? Or um, you know, should I should I start dating guys? Should I pursue a relationship with a woman? What's what's going on here? Um, and this therapist was kind of there with me in that process and. I will say some some parts of what we did, I think, were helpful. I think he did a good job helping with my depression and helping me have some conversations with my parents about um, when I ultimately did decide to start dating guys. I think, to his credit, I think that he did help out with some of those conversations. But there were other things looking back now that I'm recognizing, you know, were definitely very, very heavily based in conversion therapy, as we kind of talked about at the beginning of this episode. Um, very much the idea that we needed to, to cut this part out of my life. And some of that included um, 
the idea that I should no longer have any friends who are LGBT. Um, so that would have meant cutting out this one person that I felt like, you know, was, was basically like my lifeline at that time. Um, I did not really have a lot of things keeping me alive besides this one friend. And my therapist wanted me to stop talking to him. Um, and then there were things that were also very confusing to me and just did not feel good or right. Um, he specifically, he wanted me to buy, and I did buy a bunch of kind of what he referred to as Christian intimacy books, uh, basically about how to have sexual relations between a man and a woman who are married. Um, and there were like diagrams and pictures and, and he wanted me to physically arouse myself to these images Mm -hmm. and reading these things. Um, and that was so confusing to me (laughs) because I, I was, I've always been told, you know, that's wrong. You know, I attended the pornography addiction support group all before my mission. And now I'm being told to, to arouse myself to these images, um, as though that will somehow make me straight. So I have to break the commandments in order to live the commandments. Wow. And I just, I remember just being so scared and just not in a good spot. Um, trying to figure out what, what I need to do and like, how do I actually get to what I'm wanting in this life? Um, I remember crying when I just coming to my parents' room and just crying and saying like, why did God do this to me? Like I've tried so hard my whole life to be perfect, to be good enough for him. And he doesn't love me. Why would he do this? Um, ultimately, um, the friend that I've been kind of starting to fall in love with who was kind of also on his own religious journey, kind of tossing back and forth, he ended up cutting me out of his life, um, which was a really scary time. I think for, for me and for my family, I did not get out of bed for, you know, weeks at a time. Um, my parents, I remember my mom telling me after the fact, but she told me that she had actually planned my funeral because of how consistently I was talking about suicide. And she was planning, she stayed up all night planning it one night when she was just so torn and helpless and feeling like there was nothing she could do. And she wanted it to be, you know, if I, if this funeral was happening, she wanted it to be something that would help educate other people about Mm. what it was like to be someone like me Mm. and how to share my journey then. Um, So again, like, I feel so lucky to have had the wonderful parents that I do. I can't imagine what it's like to be on their side of things, but I just recognize that it's so complicated and so hard for, for folks who have to navigate. I mean, I know what it's like for me, (laughs) but having and feeling helpless in that process as a parent, I can't imagine what that feels like as well. Um, But ultimately we decided that the best thing for me to do would be to uh, be hospitalized and to get some kind of more intensive care since I was kind of actively planning how I might die. Um, luckily, I didn't follow through on a plan, but I did have a plan that I was was thinking about carrying out. And my therapist at the time was saying, all right, let's let's get you into a hospital. And my parents agreed. Um, and so I was actually admitted the day before Thanksgiving in 2012 to uh, uni, which is up at University of Utah, their psychiatric institute up there. Um, and it was one that my mom had like prayed a lot about and felt good about me going there. Um, that was like the right place for me. And 
I was actually really surprised when I went there because there were so many people who had, you know, been, who were affirming of me, who were okay with me being myself. You know, I had come out to a few people I'd met there, uh, the psychologists and people I talked to were like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. Kind of reiterating what my, my mission president had said. And I kept sit, kept like having a hard time. Like, no, I don't think that's true. Like, I don't think that's true. I think I'm not supposed to be gay. I don't think that that's good. Um, but we had a family meeting where, cause I was saying like, you know, if I do this, my family's going to abandon me. And we had a big family meeting where, you know, my sisters, um, their husbands, you know, ever kind of my immediate family. And, uh, we all got together in the hospital and just had a conversation about like, what is this actually going to be like? If Adam decides to date guys, Adam decides to do this, what's that going to be like? And I remember my little sister just saying, you know, it would be weird at first if Adam was dating guys, but it could also become our new normal as a family. And I'd be okay with that. And that just meant the world to me to hear that. Um, because I never, I just knew in that moment I could make whatever decision. It didn't matter if I was going to stay in the church, my family would be there for me. If I decided to leave the church, my family would be there for me. Um, and just having all those people in my court was so, so important and such a lifesaver at that time. Um, and you know, once I started, I was also right before the hospitalization, I'd been going back to Utah State. Um, you know, I'd gotten right off my mission, started getting enrolled in classes last minute. And so I'd had to actually drop out of classes at Utah State because of my mental health. Um, but I had a professor there who consistently checked on me, who, you know, when I, I didn't communicate with her before I went into the hospital, but she followed up like a few days later saying, hey, I haven't seen you in class. Are you okay? What's going on? And she was just such a safe space for me to talk about all these things that were going on for me. Um, she never tried to fix anything. She just let me kind of sit there and talk about how hard this was to figure out, you know, how to be gay and how to be Mormon. Um, can I do both? Can I not do either? Can I, what, what does this look like for me? Um, but she's been someone that's been so, so wonderful and has followed, followed up with me honestly still to this day she still stays in contact with me and has followed my journey but just knowing that there are people out there who who care and who are willing to just kind of unconditionally accept you um that's something we talk about in, in the counseling field a lot um is you know one of the things that makes therapy so effective is that your therapist has this kind of unconditional positive regard for you um and we believe that that's kind of one of the like lots of research shows that that's one of the main things that keeps people, helps people to become their best selves um, and work towards their goals and the things that they're wanting in their life. So I'm just so grateful that I had so many wonderful people like that. Um, eventually after kind of <laughs> all the mental health crises went away, um, and my mental health started to get a little better. Um, I did kind of decide that I was gonna explore dating with dating guys. Um, you know, I was still trying to go to church pretty regularly, but every time I would go, it was very, very difficult, which honestly is probably the hardest thing I think looking back now, because church used to be such a safe, wonderful place for me where I would feel so just relieved. Like every week it was like a refresh or recharge. 
and just like a breath of fresh air to be like, I'm finally back here to worship and to be, to feel loved by God. And after that experience, um, after coming home from my mission, it was just so different. It was hard to feel safe. It was hard to feel okay. It was hard to know that I was not being judged or, you know, yeah, it just wasn't ever the same. And that was so hard. That was some, that's something I still kind of miss to this day. Um, but taking that step away was kind of hard because I, I think like I, we, we talked about me doing it, but then I never really talked to my parents about doing it. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to start dating guys. And then we just didn't talk about it. And so this was, again, was something I was kind of doing on my own. I didn't want to be an embarrassment or anything to them. Um, and there was a lot of ups and downs with that as well, with my mental health. I can't say that it was like immediate peace or, you know, immediate anything. I think it was a lot of trying to figure out what actually does feel right for me. What do I want my life to actually look like? Um, but I do remember after I'd been starting to date, um, another guy, maybe like a year or so later after the, the hospitalization, um, we'd gone on a date and I just gotten home and I felt the most peaceful I'd ever felt in my life. And I was so confused <laughs> and kind of honestly distraught by that. I was like, I, why is, why would me dating this guy and going on the state and being close to someone and feeling loved and connected with him, with a guy, bring me this feeling like that's not what it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to feel sinful. I'm supposed to feel hateful. I'm supposed to feel disgusting and gross. But I just felt such, such peace. And honestly, like, and that's a lot of complex feelings. I also felt gratitude. I also felt really grateful. And so I decided to, to turn to Heavenly Father in prayer and got down on my knees. And I just said, Heavenly Father, I don't even know if I can say this. But thank you so much for bringing this person into my life because I feel so okay now. I feel so loved. And I don't know if I can say that. I don't know if you can even acknowledge that. So I'm sorry. Like, please don't shoot me with lightning or anything right now. <laughs> but please, please, please just know this means the world to me. And I just kind of sat there after that prayer, just trying to feel that moment of gratitude. And it's one of the only times I feel like I've actually like really deeply felt a strong answer. It was just like, Adam, you're so welcome. And I love you hmm. exactly as you are. And I think in that moment, I was, it was just such a breakthrough for me because I felt like, you know, I believed in the atonement so powerfully before that. Like God can do anything, so he can definitely make me straight. But I realized in that moment that like God wasn't trying to do that. God's not going to do something against his own will. The atonement can't just do something that God doesn't want to have happen. Um, and so I'm not saying that's the answer that everybody will get. Um, but I'm sure that there's people who have other very powerful spiritual experiences. And that's one thing I really care about is recognizing that like, I don't think one person's journey on this is going to be the same, but I know that for me, this was like something that I felt very spiritually 
um, uplifted and and felt very important for me to have this connection once again with my heavenly father and feel like he he knew I was on a good path. Um, and I started to really care about getting involved with other folks and helping them, you know, navigate some of these tensions. Um, I uh, volunteered for the Circling the Wagons conference, which used to be kind of this conference that would get folks from kind of Affirmation and North Star, which are two of sort of the main LGBTQ Mormon groups together and to kind of talk about uh, both the differences that we have, but the commonalities as well. Um, and I remember running into so many parents there who, you know, from very different perspectives of either, you know, my son or daughter is going to stay in the church and they're going to be celibate or they're going to get married, have a mixed orientation marriage, or, you know, nope, we are completely out of the church. My whole family's out of the church. That's the only way that people can live their life, you know, very polarizing perspectives. Um, but regardless, like in that space and knowing that I was kind of in the middle there, I was like, I don't know what's going on. It felt so good to know that there were people everywhere, no matter which choice I made, people were going to be mm. able to be there and support me. Um, and helping people to kind of make connections and like realize that like, even though we are all very different, we all do have very similar goals. We're all here to help people know that they're loved and they're cared about and they have a space in our community, whether that's, you know, inside or outside of the church. Um, we care about keeping LGBTQ youth alive. We have so much commonality despite all those differences as well. Um, and I think it's also justifiable to recognize that there has been a lot of hurt that's gone on between those communities. Um, so it was really such a nice experience to, to be able to be in those spaces and to have those conversations. And it really got me feeling like, you know, I want to get more involved with this community. I want to do something else with my life. Um, I was kind of planning to be an English teacher at that point, but that's when I decided I wanted to be a therapist. Um, I wanted to get more involved and do stuff that was really helping people to work through some of these differences and difficulties in their life. Cause I knew how much that had impacted me. Um, I knew how much my conversion therapist, uh, how those experiences had negatively impacted me. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, if someone was coming in for therapy, they had a safe space to do that. Um, so, you know, things kind of got a little better from there as I started to kind of pursue this degree. Um, I started dating more openly. I was talking to my parents about, you know, going on dates. I was bringing them home. Um, and my family was so supportive. They, I think they were really inspired by, you know, uh, Tom Christopherson's family um, and just kind of how they had handled things. And so I think they were really good to just kind of welcome my partners throughout the years through. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a whirlwind with dating, uh, as you can tell. But uh, through the years, they've just been so accepting. We've had partners over for Christmas, um, gone to church with partners. And that's um, something that I've really also really enjoyed is, you know, when I've gone to church in my home or despite, you know, some of those negative experiences first off, um, I think I've felt, I think it's one of, it's, it's been, it's been a minute. Lots of people have kind of grown up and gone out of that ward, but for a long time, that felt like a very uh, okay place to go, you know, with, with my partner, I didn't feel nervous or like I was going to get attacked or um, in the same way. Once I'd kind of been out for a little longer, um, once people got to know who I was. So, um, but yeah, so I started to pursue a, a grad school degree, started applying to lots of different schools, and I ended up getting accepted to the University of Tennessee, which is where I'm at today. Um, 
And the uh, professor that I work with is named Dr. Joe Viles, and he does a lot of research on intergroup dialogues, um, which is basically like conversations between groups with like a history of conflict. So that kind of experiences with circling the wagons was such a good fit for this program. It felt like a really good um, match. And the funny thing is I actually didn't even know I, he's probably going to listen to this, but that's fine. Uh, but I didn't even know that that's what he fully studied. Like, I didn't realize that that was a match so well until like the day before our interviews. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I definitely, this is, this is the person I'm so excited to work with. So uh, if you're in this, Joe, I'm glad I'm with you. Thank you for, thank you for bringing me to the program. That's cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I've had the opportunity to kind of explore lots of things related to um, sexual minority, mental health. Um, one of the first, like my thesis that I did for grad school was, um, kind of inspired by the kind of reversal of the November policy that had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, just cause I think there were so many people's reactions and both like, you know, as it being such a wonderful thing that it was reversed and some people kind of mourning that loss of, you know, some of the lives that, you know, have been kind of come at the cost of that. Um, and so just knowing that kind of like back and forth of like perception of like, God loves me. Does God love me? Does God hate me? Where, where do I stand with God? Um, got me thinking about kind of attachment patterns with like parents and their kids. Um, you know, folks who have a very secure attachment with their parent, they feel like, you know, their parents going to be there, there for them unconditionally. Um, someone who has more of an anxious attachment is not really sure what they're going to get with their parent. One day they might, you know, get a hug. One day they might get slapped um, or beaten. Um, someone who's avoidant just knows, like, I don't trust my parents to be there at all. And so I'm just going to do whatever I can to just stay away. And so I found out that there was actually some measures of attachment in relation to God. And so people's feelings of God in a similar way of, you know, feeling like, oh, yes, like, I know that God's going to be there for me and I can trust on him and rely on him. Um, or that anxious one being like, I don't know where I stand with God. Sometimes it feels like he's really close. Sometimes it feels like he's really far away or I don't trust God. I need to just stay very far away from him. So I was really interested in how, you know, depending on where someone kind of fell on that spectrum, where they would, um, how that would be related to their mental health. Um, so my very, my thesis was kind of looking at that process. And, um, so basically I sent out a bunch of surveys to sexual minority Christians kind of broadly, not just members of the church, but several members of the church did take it. So thank you if you participated in that study. Um, and I found kind of three different sort of profiles of mental health. Um, we kind of arranged all of the different variables we were looking at. And so folks had who had better mental health um, tended to have, you know, better well-being, less depression, less anxiety. Those folks tended to have uh, less anxiety in their, their relationship with God. So they felt more secure with God. And all this to say, I'll, I'll speak in less jargony terms, but having a very secure attachment with God or a belief that God's there for you is actually pretty good for your mental health um, for sexual minority Christians. Um, and then kind of on the reverse side, um, having that avoidant, like I don't trust God, God's someone I need to stay away with is a little more complicated. Um, there wasn't really a clear answer of whether that related to better mental health or worse mental health. It kind of could go both ways. Um, and so the way I kind of understand that is that, you know, folks can choose to sort of separate themselves from God 
And that can lead to them having, you know, a lot of shame about that experience being like, I should probably be better with God than where I'm at. God really hates me. And I'm, I'm having a hard time right now, or it could lead to them kind of feeling kind of removed from some of that pressure and tension and could lead to better mental health. So it was really interesting stuff to learn um, just to see how those kind of variables related to it. So this was all stuff I never even dreamed up of that I would ever look into, but I was, it was, it's been fun to kind of look at how relationships with God, how religious variables, um, how all these things kind of impact sexual minorities. Um, did that make any kind of sense at all when I explained that? Okay. Yes. Right. It's fascinating. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that now as I'm kind of starting my dissertation, I've, uh, been thinking a lot about those earlier experiences of me coming out um, interactions with other people as well, but how, how meaningful the presence of allies has been in my life for keeping me alive, honestly, um, and helping me know that there's a safe space for me. And I've thought about how, how much it would have meant maybe back in high school when I started this whole journey to just know that there was one person who cared about me. And like I said, at that time, like for me, that was the savior. Um, and I think that that's important to note that that is the person. Um, because I think as we're trying to figure out how do we create safe spaces and is it okay for me to be, you know, affirming and loving of LGBT members, whether they're inside or outside of the church. That's probably like one of the most Christ-like things we can do is to help people feel less alone and to know they're loved and cared about. Um, so I, I also think that's, incredibly hard to do as as um a member of the church knowing like my parents and their their journey of just trying to figure out you know how do we balance you know making sure that we know you know we're staying okay in the church where our testimonies are staying staying strong um and how do we make sure that even though we're doing that we're not making adam feel you know, left out or abandoned um it's really hard to, to navigate and balance all this um, in similar but different ways to like, you know, for LGBT Mormons, you know, we have to manage, like, how do I manage being gay and Mormon or gay and a member of the church? Um, and for allies, it's, you know, how do I, how do I do this? And how do I show my respect and love and appreciation for this group and still stay a member of the church as well? Sometimes that can be challenging. Um, so I think that that's when something I'm really interested in is like, how does that happen? What is it that like keeps people, you know, engaged or, you know, whether they decide to go stay in the church or out of the church, is there things that, you know, are helpful for them to stay in the church? Like what keeps and supports them if they're going to do that? Um, and if they leave the church, like what is, what are the things that, you know, are helpful or, or what do they miss about those experiences? Um, so I dove a little bit into the research because that's kind of what we have to do to start these projects. And I saw that there had been kind of a lot of research about kind of allyship and how people become allies kind of generally. But when it came to members of the church, there were only a couple of articles. There was one article about kind of a counseling intern, just one counseling intern ever who had kind of, who was a member of the church and had become more uh, aligned with being kind of affirming of LGBT folks. Um, and then there was another article um, by, ah, I should know this. Alan, Alan is the last name. Um, 
I can link, send you, I think I will leave just because she was so helpful with this work. I'm going to leave a link for her study as well Good in the bottom of your thing, if that's okay. Good. Cause I want to give her credit cause she was, she's amazing. Um, so I apologize for not getting your first name in here. Um, but she had done a study on, uh, allies who were, who had kids who are LGBT, uh, who were, uh, sorry, basically like Mormon or LDS moms and dads who had children who were LGBT and how they navigated that process um, of becoming allies for their kids. So um, because there had been research on that, I really wanted to take my research in kind of a different direction to add on to a little bit more. And so I wanted, with my dissertation, I'm really hoping to look at what are those experiences of people who don't have maybe kids who are LGBT, what inspires them to become allies? How do they kind of go through that process um, of opening their minds and their hearts to this group of people? Um, so yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do. And I've already started doing a few interviews, but I'm I'm really excited to learn um, more about kind of what this process looks like for people. Um, I really care, just kind of like you said, uh, your podcasting, you try to make sure that there's lots of different perspectives and people are able to see those. Um, I think it's so important especially when it comes to like allies, because we know so many people either, you know, so many people are leaving the church and people are staying in the church to not cut off um, the information about, you know, if people are leaving, what are those things that are, are causing them to leave? How do we help them stay in the church if that's something we care about? Um, and I think that there's, there's some value in that piece as well. And so I really care about having um, perspectives from all sides here. So even though I'm not, member i'm not an active member of the church um no one on my research team is either uh i definitely care about getting those active member pers perspectives and that's actually one reason i really wanted to to be on your podcast but so people have an opportunity to get to know me and to know my heart as well um because it's it's hard to trust people i i know it's hard to know if people have good intentions but i care deeply about this community um i care about making the church and just the world a safer space for LGBT um, individuals because they they need that space. They need to know that they're loved and cared about. Um, I'm just thinking about again how much how much it would have meant to even just have one person back then growing up who would have done that for me. So yeah, thank thank you for letting me kind of just share all of that. Um, this is where I hope I can say things that add to this a spirit of what Adam's sharing. <clears throat> I don't usually get tears in my eyes. I hear enough of these stories that maybe I'm a little hardened, but um, you brought tears in my eyes of just courage for who you are. Um, these are some of the notes I wrote down, listeners. I just wrote up, this is a stand-up guy that wanted to do his mission the right way. And he kind of knew some people had kind of skirted, I think is the word you used, and not me. I'm going to do this and I'm going to be committed. And um, you're navigating your sexual orientation and you're doing everything. I looked at Alma 38.5 while you were talking. And yeah, it does, it does. Some of these scriptures do sort of infer that anything is possible with God. And so a closeted gay LDS kid or Christian kid is going to think it's on me to be straight. And I want to be straight. <laughs> um, so I, I love just how honest you are the stand-up guy you're doing your mission out of love and integrity 
you're navigating incredibly complex reality of your life with no community, no way to open up about that. You even delay your mission because you're the stand-up guy that's honest about stuff. <clears throat> then I love you talking about I'm finally acceptable to God at the MTC. It's, it would be hard for me to believe a straight missionary would ever have to think that. <laughs> um, yeah, they may have messed up and they may be wondering about how God feels about them in the repentance process, but they know they're never wondering if their sexuality is acceptable to God. And so for you to feel that for that period of time in the MTC just helps me understand. Um, I liked you being honest about your dreams. No one's really talked about dreams. And my feeling is dreams like feelings are things out of our control and should not bring shame. I would guess you're straight. I think you said you were three other missionaries. I would guess you're, I assume your other three companions are straight. They may be having dreams about women. Um, right. Um, so I, I want to normalize dreams. I'm not a therapist. Um, but I, I recognize the incredible shame you feel because you may feel like you're finally acceptable God. And then you get back in this space where you um having dreams about men. And I just, I appreciate being so honest about that, Adam. This is kind of who you are is you're owning your story and it helps others that are walking this road, but just a decade behind you or need your steady voice. The next thing I wrote down was just, and this is what brought me tears, is you've got investigators or people, and it's just part of a normal mission journey where people don't accept invitations or fall through on callbacks or promise to be at church. And here's you wanting to, to help people come to a restored church because of where your head is. And I validate that you think it's well the problem's me. It's because I'm gay and God is punishing. You didn't say these words, but you, God is displeased with this part about me. So the way he's manifesting is that is these, these investigators are not joining our church or not following appointments and it's on me. And, you know, I know if you talk to your younger self missionary right now, which you've kind of done, you would have a completely different narrative for, that elder Mon out somewhere in Indy. So that's kind of a little bit of scrupulosity mixed in there, as far as I know, and religiosity. And, but the dots of that make sense, given your story, um, that you would think that, but that's all out of love. So here you are, because you care so much about this, these people, and you want the best for them, and you're so committed that you're just internalizing this in just a really difficult spot. Um, then I love this call, and I think your mom's name is Charlotte, where it's yeah. interesting. You can remember, it sounds like every detail of that balcony of the apartment when you call your mom. And I think mom, Charlotte, mom, if you're listening, you know, great job just um, with that conversation and your whole family walking this road. And then I wrote down, we need to unteach because you talked about a bishop. You talked about a good mission president. You talked about really choppy, painful experiences. My earlier self-listeners would sort of want to naturally defend church leaders and say, well, Adam, they really didn't mean it that way. You're being too sensitive. Or, But my older self just sits with you in the pain of the reality of your road. <laughs> and I can do that and be committed to Latter-day Saint. I don't have to sell out my belief in the church to validate Adam's pain. Um, but then I wrote down the word unteach is we need to proactively unteach things um, that we used to say about gay people. And some leaders haven't 
I was one of those when I became a YSA bishop. I had false conclusions because I had picked up things the church had said earlier, society said earlier. And, you know, I, I, I like the idea that as a, so one of the, you know, is to unteach outdated or um, teachings that the church used to have. The church just changed their teachings about this. It doesn't change maybe the doctrine men that marriage is between a man and a woman. There's a lot of things we don't say, including that you can somehow change this. Um, then I thought of the hospital. <laughs> um, uni, I think, at the University of Utah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that your mom, I love that you recognize at times that God is in your life and you come home and your mom's there and there's these tender moments of mercy where there are individual people that are there for you, keeping you alive. And this is just a really dark time. And I'm glad you talked about it because I think it gives other people hope in their really dark time. But I, I, I think it's good. You got to uni. Um, But then I wrote down this just honest, vulnerable, real reality. If you're in uni and this is a life or death situation, we could lose Adam. And then you have this conversation about what's it going to be like if Adam dates men. And your little sister, you can still remember these words. Well, that'll be weird at first, but maybe that's the new normal. And I wrote down one of my favorite quotes is that I share on the podcast listeners every now and then is Gene Kratz, who's in charge of the Apollo 13 mission. And it goes sideways. And it's kind of like, your family and your situation is seriously going sideways and the Apollo mission is going to crash and your life is crashing. And Gene Stats, Gene Kratz says with, as everybody around him is being negative, he says, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. And in some ways that, that was maybe the most painful experience for your family and for you, Adam, to be in this really dark with a plan. Um, but maybe that was your family's finest hour and it was a turning point and um, we're able to love and support you. And it seems like things got better. I love this university state professor and the word you use to describe her as a safe place. And she just cared enough that you weren't in class and she's still um, connected. I love you being honest about it. it's not easy to leave the church. And I have certainly heard enough stories to recognize a lot of people that aren't in the church right now miss the church. They miss the community. They miss the teachings. Um, and uh, in this book, I've mentioned a little bit, book three, Building the Good Ship Zion, there's a couple chapters in there. One is, how should we treat people that leave the church? And it's sort of this space you're in is let's reduce the tension between different groups, um, including people that separate themselves from the church. I love that you stayed um, kept your relationships. Tom Christofferson's advice, I've heard he say to people that are stepping away from the church, he says, well, take God with you. Um, I think our doctrine is that God loves all of his children and that's not earned. I think worth is set because we're divine children of heavenly parents. Worthiness to go to a, a temple is something that comes and go, but that worth um, stays with you if you choose to separate yourself from the church. Listeners, I believe that. I'm not inviting everybody to leave the church, but if someone feels that's their best path, I'll say what you've done, Adam, take God with you. And I love that you've continued to felt God's love in your life. Um, 
I'm, I'm glad you're open about the conversion therapy and that's sort of under the umbrella. We know we know better, we do better. And I'm, I thought it was so interesting that you said this is wrong. You have this sort of intuition of what's right and wrong and recognize this isn't right. And then I love, maybe this is the prayer when you came home from a date with a man and you kept praying to God and you weren't even sure you could talk to God about this. And, and you did, and you got a lot of peace from that. And I, you know, I think if you're closeted, um, not even out to yourself, you could come out to God listeners um, and find out how God feels about you. That can help with your, you know, how you feel about yourself. It's sort of what your mission president said and what you've learned. So um, this is just, you know, I'm really moved by your story, Adam, and you're 31. You're not 61. You've got your whole life ahead of you, and here you are in a situation from a career perspective as kind of a bridge builder and wanting to understand how to heal and bring hope and understanding. And I love what you're doing with attachment patterns with God and how we learn that sometimes through our parents and how we attach to our parents and how we may think God feels the same way. And there's a lot of learning there that I wish I had learned as a parent. We have, you know, a bunch of straight kids, but I still wish I'd better understood how to be a parent. Uh, my, so those are just some of my thoughts, listeners. I'm just, it's a, this is a huge success story, Adam, that you are alive and that you have navigated the complexities of your life and that you're at peace for who you are um, and your path forward. And you've chosen now to choose a path that will bless other people's lives. There's so much need for clinical expertise in this space, as you know. Um, in, and I want to get Adam talking again, um, just so, so you know, in the show notes, there's three things that I know so far we're going to listen list is um, linked if you want to participate. It's for allies, it sounds like, for, with Adam's dissertation. Um, your mom has started a support group, Charlotte Mon in Northern um, Utah, for parents that have LGBTQ kids or LGBTQ individuals. Yeah, so it's it's called uh, Faith Healing and... Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes, that was me for not knowing this. Um, it's called FHE for All. Um, Let's see if I can find it right here. Faith, healing, and encouragement for allies, LGBTQ, and leaders. So I okay. think it's kind of meant to be for, um, and it's pretty much for anybody in Cache Valley. It's um, a space to, they have activities and things that they do kind of once a month or so. Um, they have talks, they have speakers once in a while, but just a space to feel a community and learn more if you're a leader or someone who maybe hasn't been exposed to people in this community. Um, just an opportunity to go and to meet people and to ask questions and to to really fill up their love and their spirits. So, how does it yeah, make you? How does it make you feel that your mom was doing that? It's been really cool to. Um, I just like I've been so appreciative of her over the years because I think she's really adapted to different ways of showing her support for me. Um, and now it's it's to the point where she's like Adam almost doesn't really need the support in the same way. It's like, <laughs> I can now do this for other people. She's really, she really cares about being there for her parents, for kids and showing up. So I'm, I'm very proud of her and I'm grateful for the work she does. So we'll link to that if you're in the Cache Valley area and a lot of, you know, this is in our, we'll also link to something we link to in all of our podcasts is a, is a Facebook group that's 
ministering to LG, ministering resources to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And it's a lot of, there's LGBTQ people in there and allies, but the, it's not focused around orientation or if you're a parent, it's focused around purpose of what can I do in my area of influence to improve the experience for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And a lot of allies are doing what your mom is doing. is just creating a support group. Um, some of those meet at the church if the stake or the ward feels impressed to this is something that's okay, but most of them don't. They just, but there's, you know, they meet in a home and it's just um, a, a group led often by a parent or somebody in the space that knows the space. So we'll, um, we'll also link to um, the Ally essay you talked about. I think it was a woman with the last name Alan. Yeah. Uh, and we'll link sure. to that. Um, Thank you. We want to do that. Yeah. So those are the things in the show notes. But Adam, uh, just keep sharing if there's any more thoughts that come to your mind. Yeah, I have um, a little bit of a recruitment thing. I just need to good. Read. Oh, do. Is that okay? Yes. Um, so this is just to give you guys some kind of more information about the study. If you're wondering if you're someone who might be know a good fit or not, but um, so. As you know, my name is Adam Mon, so I am a doctoral student at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Um, but I'm getting started on a study that I really, really love you to participate in if you do qualify. Um, you know, as a researcher and as someone who's grew up as a queer member of the church, I think I've really learned the impact that heterosexual allies, both within and outside of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, can have on improving the mental health and well-being of sexual minorities, especially in Utah. Um, so my research and I, my research team and I are we're wanting to hear from heterosexual current and former members of the church um, who live in Utah and also identify as allies of sexual minorities about their journeys and becoming allies. Um, as I mentioned, you know, there, in recent years, there's been studies kind of on that process that folks go through that lead them to identify as allies. But the majority of the information we have revolves around the journeys of LDS parents of LGBTQ youth. Um, so because of that, I'm really wanting to learn more about those journeys from people who do not have a child. Who identifies as a sexual minority. So if that sounds like you and you're over 18 years old, please feel free to check out our study. Um, the link is going to be, like he said, in the uh, the show notes as well, but it'll be tiny.utk slash LDS allies. Um, again, that's tiny.utk.ld, well, tiny.utk.edu slash LDS allies. Um, so if you're a good fit for our study, um, you will be selected for an interview. Um, and we will plan to compensate you with a $20 uh, gift card for your time. We've also given the opportunity for folks who um, want to donate that money to an organization in Utah that benefits um, LGBTQ folks to have that opportunity as well. So um, not able to interview everybody, but able to definitely want to get a lot of different perspectives out there. So if you're someone who feels like you have the passion and energy to come um, chat with me for an hour, an hour and a half, I'd love to have you. So. Um, so cool. Yeah. More, anything else you'd like to share that comes to your mind, Adam? Uh, I think that's it. Just thank you so much, Richard. It's been so good to just spend this time with you and kind of just, yeah, I really appreciated being and sharing this with you today. We really brave. Um, you guys that come on the podcast, I just are so brave and courageous and you're warriors and I'm, it helps so many other people, your vulnerability and your honesty gives hopes to your younger selves that are out there. Um, and you know that you probably have 
many conversations with people that reach out to you that are not as far on the road that need your steady voice and perspective. And I love your grace for different paths that you, you know, that's the space I'm trying to create too is, um, yeah, I'll invite everybody to stay in the church and follow church teachings, but also say, I'll walk with you and you need to self-determine at the end of the day. That's a therapist term that somebody taught me. You need to self-determine your best path forward as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. And do that when you're you're your personal best, spiritually, physically, emotionally, with family support. And when you hit those forks in the road, what it's going to be, do that. Write your own story. You know, there's other stories around there, but I think Adam's done a terrific job of, at the end of the day, I, Adam Mon, have to write my own story. And I'm going to take God with me as I write that story. And he is going to help me even he was seems to i believe he was there when you talked to him about that that date with a man now i'm wondering how's god going to feel about that but i love that you turn to god and i just it's back to tom christopherson's advice take god with you um cuz i think i believe in satan listeners but i think his greatest tool is to use shame to separate us from the love of god and thinking who we are if we're a sexual minority or gender minority or Whatever is going on in life disqualifies from God's love. And I think that's more shame-related and Satan-related. And that's where I think um, he wins if he can cause you to falsely believe that. So that's one of your podcast points of your podcast that I think is really helpful. Anything else? Sometimes I go off on something and then my guest kind of says, I'd like, that brings up something I'd like to share. Anything there? No, that's great. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I am. My biggest goal in all this is just to help folks stay alive and, and find happiness. And so uh, if I can do that by helping understand how people, you know, become more supportive and cared about within or outside of the church, then that's, that's important. So I, I really care about that. You've done this already, but talk to your younger self um, at uni or those weeks where you couldn't get out of bed. Um, that's maybe 10, 11 years ago. Just talk to that younger Adam Mon. Um, not, not this out of the blue, Richard. Wow. <laughs> um, I am so sorry for everything you're going through right now. This is really hard. And I know you feel really alone in that everything you've wanted in life is out of your reach right now. I know you feel like God doesn't love you. I know you feel like your family doesn't love you. And I'm not going to try to fix that feeling right now for you. I want to be here with you, but I do want you to know that it's going to be okay. Eventually it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. But you have so many people who care about you and love, love you, and you have so much to offer the world. So don't, don't forget that. Um, yeah. That was great. Thank you. And of course. Thank you. I'll close with this comment. Listeners, you regular listeners know I share it about once every three podcasts. But it's you, Adam Mon. It's Henry Norwin talking about the wounded healer. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others 
can be led to the desert by someone who's never been there. And um, you're a wounded healer. It's incredibly wounding, as you've accurately and appropriately communicated. But you're also in a place, because your personal experience and your clinical work and your education, um, you're already doing this. This isn't just in the future um, to heal people. And God, I believe in, is so grateful for who you are, um, the people you've helped, and the people you will continue to help. And someday I think Adam will take you on the top of a tall mountain and help you see the totality of what you've done at the end of your life or maybe in the next life. And I think that'll be a wonderful moment. So um, I had one other thought, listeners. Sorry, I'm not closing as quick. Is You reminded me of a conversation, a lunch conversation with I had with an affirmation leader a few years ago who was an affirmation leader like 20 years ago. And I can't even remember his name, but he said, you know, and this was, he said something is a little different right now because most of the allies had LGBTQ kids, but there is kind of this new wave of allies that, that this is back to your research that really have no connection um, to the LGBT community. And that's sort of my story. Yeah, I got connected through my YSA service and listening to gay men tell me about being gay, but I think that's part of, I think of the spirit of God in some of the verses that the veil of the earth is beginning to burst is a phrase in there. And when I hear that phrase, listeners, I think of increased understanding to support um, queer Latter-day Saints and more people stepping forward as part of their baptism covenants to bear, mourn, and comfort and recognizing as Jesus taught and he role modeled that this is a group of people that needs our love and support. And when we do it under the least of these, we do it unto him. And you're not least because God made you least. You're least because of society and what we've said about you, because you're, you know, full, complete human being, um, one of God's sons. So anyway, though, those are just some thoughts in closing. Anything else, Adam? That's great. Thank you so much, Richard. <laughs> so thank you all for listening, and especially thank you, Adam Mon. Um, this is Richard Osser and Adam Mon signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.